Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. Our new friend and heritage colleague, Emma Waters, is back with us for the second week in a row. We couldn't get enough of you, Emma. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for having me back, guys. Low-rise jeans are also apparently back. Flares are back. Everyone has an opinion on these. Curious what you guys think. Low-rise or high-waisted jeans and skinny or flared jeans. You know, I am short and very curvy, which means that flare jeans rarely compliment. <laughs> and, you know, while low rise is back, one of my favorite new fashion themes actually came from New York State University with models um, actually unbuttoning jeans, unzipping them a little bit and then wearing them like bent down, like flared out. Um, and it was like the first like fashion move that a pregnant woman could actually really get behind. Um, so it was brilliant. So like high rise <laughs> jeans, but like folded down. And I was like, this is fantastic. Okay. For those who didn't listen last week or don't know you, they might not know that you are pregnant. And when you first said that, I was like, wait, you, you don't seriously <laughs> like, like that. But no, I, I can second that as a very uh, forward pregnancy trend. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All I have to say is Blink-182 is back skinny jeans forever <laughs> skinny jeans and high-waisted get rid of like just don't go the low rise route it's not doing anyone any favors i love the memes that are like gen z we fought for you like we wore these low-rise pants and we know <laughs> the damages that they caused and we we worked for the mom jeans like don't throw it all away britney spears still wears them and like mm, not a good well, sign yeah <laughs> she's also a mom now so <laughs> All right. Well, up on today's Problematic Women, Ulta Beauty released a podcast on girlhood. And now some girls and women are promising to boycott the brand. We explain why. Plus, big tech has been doing some big censorship that has been hitting some of us quite personally. Uh, We're going to share what uh, big tech is doing in the world of gender ideology to ensure one side of the debate is not heard. Also on today's show, some Democrats want to redefine infertility. We'll share why it matters. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. Your support really does make a difference. All right, let's get started. All right. Well, a very interesting interview went viral on social media earlier this week and left some of us promising to never shop at Ulta Beauty again. I mean, for starters, did either of you ever shop there to begin with? No, it was like the Walmart of makeup, (laughs) except more expensive. Have you literally ever met me? <laughs> Lauren doesn't really uh, wear makeup. I can't even tell you the last time I bought makeup because my, my sister's buy it for me. I'm like, here's my credit card. Go get me whatever I need. But it is a pretty massive beauty brand for those who don't know what it is. Uh, the only reason I've actually shopped there and um, know what it is is they, they also sell a lot of uh, like hair curlers, hair straighteners, and they have a good selection on that front. 
Um, so yeah, huge company has a huge presence, and they decided to use that presence in a new podcast called The Beauty Of. This podcast started in uh, week one with an interview with Virgie Tover. She is the author of Body Positive Journal. And in week two, the podcast featured an interview with a actor who identifies as transgender and a comedian, apparently, Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney is a biological male who identifies as a woman. Uh, it's like hard for me to even say that because this individual is so offensive to everything womanhood. The, ho- uh, the host of the show is David Lopez, who identifies as gender fluid. Uh, he has a beard and long hair, um, but like wears makeup and it's a little <laughs> little strange. Uh, he certainly has fun at Ulta Beauty, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the topic of the discussion between these two men, one transgender and the other gender fluid, on the podcast was girlhood. Take a listen. This is Mulvaney, the one who identifies as transgender, talking. Now I know I can find love. I know I can still be a performer. I know that I can have a family. I want to be a mom one day. And I absolutely can. And that's why the narrative still has a long way to go. Because when I was grieving Boy Dylan, I didn't know those things were even accessible to me. So (laughs) let's talk about the big picture for a moment. Uh, We can talk about the boycotting and why Ulta Beauty is so woke, but I think there's also something larger going on here. When you listen to Mulvaney say, I can be a mom one day, and you see him sitting there in a red dress with all this makeup on, I mean, what is going through your heads? First, it just makes me so sad to hear him say that he's grieving the boy Dylan Um, And the amount there that's being lost that I don't think he's even started to come to terms with. But hearing him say that he wants to be a mom one day and plans to be a mom one day um, points to just the lunacy um, and the self-deception of our reproductive market. So for a biological man to be a parent one day, right, to be a father, um, but who identifies as a woman, first he has to um, purchase another woman's eggs, right, Um, because he only has sperm. And then he has to rent the womb of another woman to implant this embryo of his sperm, another woman's egg, for her to carry the child, birth the child, and then return it to him. And then he can take the really cringe picture sitting in a hospital robe on a bed, pretending that he just birthed this child. But it's nowhere close to reality or anywhere close to what the actual experience of being a woman is, right? Um, But he actually had on one of his 100 Days of Being a Girl TikTok video series. Yeah, he's like a famous TikTok star. Right. Pretend woman. Right. He had a day where he was like putting on makeup and he was talking about sperm freezing. And he was like, guys, like I'm starting my testosterone blockers and I've just started taking estrogen. And so today I sent off my sperm to be frozen because he was like, all of a sudden I realized that if I want to be a mom one day, I have to preserve it now. So first of all, we have the lunacy of a man talking about freezing his sperm to become a mom, which last time I checked, no woman has had to freeze her sperm to become a mom. It just doesn't work that way. And second, um, just how incredibly sad it is um, that, yeah, this is the process. But he mentioned that he had low sperm count already. So he's 25 years old, already has low sperm count. 
And it also just sort of pointed me to thinking about other reasons why men start identifying as women. So did he already have low testosterone? Were there other environmental factors going on? If his sperm count was already low, like, who knows? Like, there's a lot of things happening on a physical, biological level, as well as, like, clearly a mental one for him when it comes to this concept of being a woman and not feeling confident as a man. Well, and if you see some of the other videos on TikTok, TikTok, TikTok <laughs> <laughs> by this gentleman, uh, it's it's just truly offensive what he thinks being a woman is. So I want to play one more so that our listeners can get a sense of what this dude thinks it means to be a woman. Day 75 of being a girl, and I've been carrying around tampons and pads for the past two months, but I've actually never opened one up. So let's do it. Woohoo! I thought the letters stood for small, medium, and large based on the size of your Barbie pouch. But after a Google, I found out it's actually the level of your flow. So much wrong with that. Barbie pouch. That's that's what he thinks women have. Barbie pouches. And this is someone who, no matter the great measures he takes to appear like a woman, he will never be a woman who menstruates, who needs a tampon. And yet he's playing this game, putting himself out there on social media, you know, pretending these objects are even relevant to him. And I'm sure you both feel the same way. I find it deeply offensive because these this is these are real facts of life that being a woman entail. And it's not like just this funny thing like Barbie pouches like that that's deeply offensive to me and it just totally um I guess misses uh, misses the meaning on womanhood well and it just totally shows that their desire to be a woman is so superficial right like it's it's I want to carry around pads and tampons and wear makeup but we all know that's not what makes us a woman uh, or how we are 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 built in the way we think and the way that we react. That's what, what makes us women. And I mean, you know me, I'm like not much for makeup. So I'm like, totally let the men have makeup. That's good with me. <laughs> but at the same time, it 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 shows that they they just want to like cosplay as a woman. And, and it's not really at the end of the day, they're not, they're not a woman and they're not even attempting to understand what a woman is. So I wanted to read uh, Ulta Beauty got a lot of critical responses uh, for choosing to platform this male pretending, not just pretending to be a woman, but like doing it in a very offensive way. I mean, if personally, like clearly I'm far from this, but like if I were someone who was like pro transgender, blah, 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 like I would want this person far, far away from my movement because it it's just like everything that is wrong. But it, it but it's actually the truth. It actually very much exposes um, what this movement is really about. And so, uh, Ulta Beauty got a lot of backlash to the point they actually hid most like hundreds of comments. <laughs> and I want to read one of them because you know there is such a culture of fear in pushing back against this nonsense. But I was really encouraged by uh, the number of women who um, did openly tell Ulta Beauty how they feel. So this is from Twitter user Katie Cat. She said, I really think more women need to wake up to this nonsense. I think too many of us has, have stayed quiet because we don't want to hurt feelings and are too concerned with being polite. I've had enough. I'm not going to be quiet. Hashtag woman face is disrespectful. 
Hashtag boycott Ulta. Woman face. I thought that was really interesting. It's actually not uh, like a hashtag I had seen before. Emma, had, have you seen this cover in this issue in your work? I've seen it in conversations with Chris Rufo, the Matt Walsh world, um, but it's definitely teetering on the brink of mainstream or not. Um, and I imagine after this Ulta situation that it probably will be. Well, uh, I guess we should mention that if you are one of those who maybe did shop at Ulta and no longer want to support this um, offensive nonsense, you could consider checking out Hope Beauty. Uh, The company's founder, Hope Howard, joined the show last week. Uh, You can find all the products online at hopebeautyusa.com. That is not sponsored. That is simply us trying to be helpful and make a point with our pocketbooks. That's precisely right. And also one other thing that I've been thinking about in relation to Dylan Mulvaney. So before he started transitioning um, to appear as a woman, he was in the Book of Mormon. He was on a C-list actor show, The Honest Show, right? And he was a man in each of these. And so it just seems like the exact same script that we've seen with Leah Thomas happening all over again. C-list actor, not really making it big, acting in like some somewhat well-known but generally unpopular shows, all of a sudden realizes, wait, if I become a woman, this is going to work really well for me, starts transitioning as a woman, starts this TikTok series, and he's an overnight sensation. And now everyone is talking about him. And it just seems a little old and incredibly offensive. It, it, like They know how to work the system, and this is how well, you yeah, make it big. He's making it big and making a lot of money with these sponsorships. All right. Well, we have more on this topic, but first, let's take a quick break. If you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast of the Independent Women's Forum, uh, where I happen to be be working most days. (laughs) Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg, very familiar to this show, is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on the issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. Can't wait for the next episode to drop. You can listen to past episodes at iwf.org or search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. All right. Well, now we're going to talk a little bit about big tech censorship. We all know what's happening. We all know the Heritage Foundation is at the forefront of putting forth solutions about what to do about it. Um, But in the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple incidents that have been impacting me personally and both of you uh, on this podcast, as you both do, work on um, these issues as well. So we want to share what's been going on. <laughs> um, I will. I guess I'll, I'll start with like the big picture. Um, I've talked about on the show. I've been working this year on a mini docu series called Identity Crisis, which is telling the stories of mothers whose daughters fell prey to gender ideology. Uh, these moms bravely spoke out to share their stories, put a face to uh, the fact that these schools are uh, transitioning children, quote unquote, affirming these new identities behind their backs, often in secret, without their consent, knowledge, or permission. Um, we also tell the story of very brave detransitioners who um, are facing lifelong repercussions of um, the medical harms that they inflicted on their own bodies 
you know, under the premise that this would make them feel whole again, this would make them feel better. And really every step of the way, we have faced a censorship from YouTube and Google, um, ad platforms. We are not allowed to promote these videos. We're told they're hateful, they're discriminatory, um, they present safety problems. Um, and it's really interesting because if you Google the stories of you know, children who are transitioning, you know, the vast majority are these very triumphant celebratory videos, which have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. Very clearly, they are supported by ads. Very clearly, they are platformed. And, you know, we, we think of the Matt Walsh documentary, What is a Woman? That has faced very serious censorship. Um, he's been trying to do screenings all across the nation. He's faced, um, you know, in-person protests and attempted censor- censorship and also much of this censorship Uh, by big tech. But what I think is really interesting in um, what Independent Women's Forum has experienced in promoting these videos, and Lauren, I'm sure your team has experienced all the time, pretty much the same (laughs) thing on all your stories. And it's, 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 it's really like probably aligns, you know, with the argument I make is, it's really astonishing that big tech is censoring these stories, because ultimately, they are just individuals speaking to their camera and sharing their personal story. Like, I don't I don't think Matt Walsh's documentary has any justifiable reason to be censored. But, you know, that's more of like a, you know, experts disagreeing and, um, you know, a lot of like opinions and hot takes and so forth. All that we do and all that really the Daily Signal does in a lot of these documentaries is tell personal stories. And what big tech is essentially saying is America is better off without your stories, without the stories of detransitioners, without the stories of mothers whose daughters uh, fell victim to this ideology. And to me, like, I just want to walk into YouTube and Google and ask, how do you justify this? Like, you know, we, of course we ask them, like, what, what is the safety concern? What is discriminatory about these videos? And we don't, we don't get any response, of course. Um, but, you know, I think that I have to believe that even those who are on the other side of the, the debate should be against this censorship because we're talking about children and we're talking about a very contentious issue where experts do not agree and the stakes could not be higher to get it right. And it is just so important to have these stories out there. And it is so disappointing to see big tech complicit in pushing this ideology. And I would argue at this point, they're not just complicit. They are playing an active role in pushing this harmful ideology, which leads to lifelong medical complications onto children. Well, we have a saying here at Heritage, and that's big tech is big left, right? And this is like a total playbook of the left. They just want to cancel you. They don't want to try to have a good faith discussion with you. And I'm not talking about like there are a small group of liberals still who will have some good hearted discussions, uh, Tulsi Gabbard being one of them. But most of the left nowadays don't want to see, they don't want to hear anything that might disrupt their worldview, right? It's why we're all losing friends on Instagram by the dozens every day because people can't even stand to know that a pro-life conservative even exists. 
And they, they do this. I mean, even you look at the DOJ, all these pro-life people who have been arrested. There's, I know there's a lot of details to the story, but these people don't deserve to be arrested. It's Time and time again, the left doesn't want to have a nuanced discussion. They don't want to kind of take tempered responses. It's like, no, you don't fall in line. You just move aside. And, and that's what we're up against as conservatives. And I'm fairly libertarian myself. And, and so I do understand that you have to balance kind of the free market side of things and understand that government action is, is not a good thing. But at the same time, these big tech platforms are really where we get our information and how we express ourselves. And we need to find a, a good balance of making sure that the government is not overreaching, but we're protecting people's speech and protecting people's right to get information like the stories that you so beautifully told with IWF. And Emma, I want to get your thoughts, but I have to add, since you just brought up the fact that government is involved here, and you're right, because it sounds like on its face, this is just private companies censoring. Uh, But just the other week, we saw the nation's largest medical organizations write a letter to the Justice Department Mm. demanding that they use their power to shut down this speech, to shut down content that they view as harmful and because they view it as harmful they view it as inciting violence even though the speech itself is not promoting violence they're making that connection they are blurring that line in order to use their power to censor and they also sent a similarly worded letter to big com- big tech companies asking facebook asking twitter to be censoring more as if they're not censoring enough. So there's very much some collusion going on here. We saw this happen with the school um, school boards, the D- Justice Department weaponizing their power to um, target moms and dads who are speaking up at school boards. They're trying to do the same thing when it comes to gender ideology speech on social media. I mean, if you believe it was a coincidence that the Hunter Biden laptop story was totally banned from social media in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election. Like, I, I have some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. You know, like, this, there is such a concerted effort, and, and we don't know how that could have changed the election. We don't know if that would have given Donald Trump the edge to win, and there's no what-ifs, right? We're in America where we are, and I'm not saying the, the election was stolen. But they are taking steps to change policy and silence us, and it, it can be discouraging, but also it, it, it makes me want to fight harder. So I'm, I'm grateful for what you did. Emma? <laughs> yeah. The, the other latest rendition of this is a conservative organization here in D.C. is hosting an all-female event where we're going to enjoy some quality time with other women in D.C. and watch Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? And about a week before the event, um, Eventbrite emailed the organization and said, hey, uh, we were just reviewing this event, and it says that your event has violated our terms of agreement and our contract practice because it includes hate, violence, and harassment towards others. I have it pulled up right now. Um, it's Eventbrite banned us for promoting hate, violence, and harassment. And I'm actually speaking on a panel right before this screening, and I'm almost like, I, I dare you to come in and hear me speak and tell me what we're doing is hateful, is violent, or harassing. You know, we cover these really difficult issues with the utmost compassion. Um, and to see big tech weaponize their power 
to try to shut down in-person discussions, productive discussions, female discussions, as you mentioned. Like women can't get together, according to Ebright, to screen a thought-provoking film and have, you know, a thoughtful discussion after afterwards. I mean, how backwards is is that it's so true if only we had two men to mansplain womanhood to <laughs> us then maybe the event would have passed no but it's terrible because they deleted all of the rsvps they deleted all of the information um so even on a practical level right like this is a major blow to an organization who's relying on their website on their services to deliver what they promised this is an agreement that the conservative organization and eventbrite entered into and then eventbrite based on their ever-changing terms of agreement, right, of what counts as appropriate, just broke their individual. So they had to relaunch the entire invite, use a different service, and try to contact everyone and let them know. Now, I imagine this means that we'll have more people than ever coming tonight, which is fantastic (laughs) because, like Lauren was saying, like, the more they push, the harder that we want to fight back. Um, But it's just highlighting these stories so that it's not just these one-off random events, right? Like, these are things that are happening to us on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, And if it's happening to us now in D.C., it's not long before it's happening to everyday Americans. Yeah, and I have to be honest. I apologize for the shameless promotion, but really quick, uh, IWF is launching in-person screenings of our videos as well. We're kicking off in Chicago November 5th, and our team moved forward using Eventbrite uh, to sell the tickets. And, you know, I obviously told them what was going on. You know, this Mm -hmm. event I'm speaking at was censored. They tried to use a different company, but the problem is, like, none of of these other companies are comparable in terms of cost and ease. Mm. Um, And it was getting the point where this event is, like, just over two weeks away and we needed to get the ticket information out there. And so we had to move forward with Eventbrite, cross our fingers, and hope they don't shut us down. Although, as we know, you know, I do agree, Emma. Uh, do that and you'll be hearing from us even louder. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. But this is like sort of the conservative response is like, oh, no, they've taken this away. We're going to go build our own and do it ourselves. But in reality, right, like you're not going to have the platform. You're not going to have the viewership. You're not going to have the ease of access that these major companies do. And so it's a matter of either we can just keep taking our ball and going to another ever smaller, ever more obscure park Or we can stand and fight and say, no, this is not the sort of nation that I want to live in. This is not the sort of uh, agreement I want to have with our corporate businesses. And we're going to hold you accountable, which has always been the job of the consumer, right, is to hold the market accountable. And so it's not a matter of going elsewhere. To That's not even ideal to try to find alternatives, right? It's only when you absolutely have to. In reality, we should be holding these places accountable so that they actually function as they were meant to in society. Well said. All right. Well, speaking of controversial topics, let's talk about same-sex couples and fertility. Recently, Democrat reps Adam Schiff and Judy Shu of California introduced a bill that would redefine infertility. I did not even know the definition of fertility and infertility was up to debate, but it appears so. Emma, you've written on Heritage about this. Can you explain what the bill is and what it does? Absolutely. So over the summer, um, Democrats from California, they're always from California, um, introduced a bill called the Equal Access to Reproductive Care Act. And so effectively, it would um, further politicize the IRS to offer um, tax deducted um, amounts for assisted reproductive care, quote unquote, and this includes surrogacy. So what they're doing is instead of infertility being defined as 
12 months of unprotected intercourse between a man and a woman, which is the standard medical definition that every state, every medical board, um, every insurance company has used. They're actually pushing for the definition of infertility to include um, all matter of things, including single individuals or one's sexual preference, which means I'm not attracted to the opposite sex, therefore I'm infertile. And so um, Representative Schiff, who was one of the um, Democrats who introduced the bill, went so far as to say that the pain felt by infertile heterosexual couples is the same as the pain felt by two men who were unable to conceive a child. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> which could not be more offensive to the hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans who really do struggle with infertility and the desire to bear a child. And then to say that two men who, I'm sorry, no matter how two men do it, it's never going to result in a child, (laughs) right? Like they just don't have the parts. And then to say that that's the same level of discrimination and that's the same heartbreak and difficulty is downright offensive and is completely separated from any understanding of reality. And this seems like changing the definition of infertility is going to have sweeping effects, like across the board, across government, across the private sector. And I know, you know, this bill, I guess you can tell us the status of it feels a little far off. But given that the left either can't define a woman or has tried to, I mean, has successfully in some cases redefined the term woman. I mean, I feel like this is right on the horizon. It is. I, I think this this sort of bill is going to become the equal rights amendment of every legislative session. They're going to keep introducing it in different forms um, at different times. But what this um, federal level congressional bill reflects are the efforts of a lot of activist groups and individuals on the state level. So Illinois recently uh, passed a bill to redefine infertility to include all of those metrics. Um, and that went passed. And so that's already in place in Illinois. Um, in Michigan right now with their Proposition 3 constitutional amendment, which I talked about on the podcast last week, one of the areas that um, the amendment will redefine under reproductive care is infertility, which means that current Michigan laws that ban surrogacy, which is essential for a single man um, or two men or an older woman to have a child, um, it would, re, it would redefine and change their surrogacy laws so that that would all of a sudden be a right under their state constitution. Um, similar things are happening in New York right now. Um, some of you might have seen the gay um, partnership of two men who are suing the state of New York right now because their insurance plans won't cover IVF treatments yes. for two men. And, and like, and this points at the fact, right, that like surrogacy and IVF are incredible incredibly expensive procedures, right? And right now, a lot of insurance plans will cover it for a man and a woman who are medically defined as infertile. These redefinitions, though, completely change the game. But what's really funny is because it's so expensive, the state of New York, for all of its wokeness, (laughs) the insurance companies don't want to do it. Because if all of a sudden anyone could be considered infertile without any medical diagnosis or like sense of um, stability there, that's going to cost them so much money. So we're, so whereas like trans advocates are making tons of money on this craziness, um, people like insurance companies who are having to pay for IVF and surrogacy agreements for single men, two men, et cetera, are going to lose a lot of money. So you're actually seeing pushback, but still on the state level, this is just coming up constantly. And really briefly, I want to 
ask you what implications this has for children, for babies who, you know, I guess like normally have a human right and natural right to their mothers and fathers. Yeah. And this is where surrogacy is absolutely unacceptable. So I will make a distinction here. There's altruistic surrogacy, which is um, surrogacy that you do without pay um, to be kind to another person. So I think when people think of surrogacy, a lot of times they think of um, a Christian couple down the road who was infertile and needed additional treatments, right? Medical diagnosis. And then the wife's sister or cousin like volunteered to carry the baby. Like maybe she had cancer, she lost her womb, what have you. That would be altruistic surrogacy. And that's not what we're discussing right now. Um, like that's an incredibly intimate um, and very situational um, aspect of it. The part of surrogacy we're talking about right now and that each of these bills is addressing is commercial surrogacy. Because altruistic surrogacy is pretty much legal and allowed everywhere. If an individual wants to help another individual like that, especially in heart-wrenching circumstances, that's great. With commercial surrogacy, it's an entire market that creates children as this accessory for on-demand gratification that is meant to fulfill the desires of adults without any interest in the well-being of the children. So commercial surrogacy can have up to five different actors as a part of it. So it could be the egg donor, so harvesting and buying eggs from a woman, which is terrible for her body, by the way, um, harvesting and buying sperm if you're a woman and need sperm. Then you have the IVF lab that is creating the embryo for you and in many instances giving you the choice to destroy the embryo embryos, which if you believe that life begins at conception is the ending of a life. Um, and that can include everything from gender-based discrimination um, to race-based to disability-based, um, which is terrible. And then on top of that, you then have to find a surrogate, so a woman who is willing to carry this child for you for pay. And what's wild is we actually have studies that have come out that have shown that uh, commercial surrogacy pregnancies are far more high risk and hard on the woman's body than regular pregnancy is because she's having to mentally and physically disassociate from this child who is growing within her, right? And not only is a child who is technically not genetically related to her growing within her, but there's this incredible process called fetal microchimerism, which is the process by which the mother and the baby in the womb um, share blood cells and DNA cells with each other. And this can actually lead to like life-saving um, responses on the part of the baby's body for the mother. So there's cases where a woman, um, a woman's baby cells, fetal cells that stayed in her body, actually rebuilt her liver after cancer. And the doctors could point to that, wow. um, right? So like the surrogate and the child share a very intimate relationship that this is just denying. And then on top of that, you have a ton of lawyers and like all the legal practice to keep the contract. So this is what we mean when we talk commercial surrogacy. And the point and purpose of commercial surrogacy, totally unlike adoption, totally unlike foster care, is that it's on the basis that it's depriving that child of either their biological mother or father, or it's depriving a child of a mother or father, period. Um, so in the case of two men trying to create a child and bear it through a surrogate, that child is never going to have the love and relationship and nurture of a mother. And we know that statistically, children who are raised without a mother or a father in the home, especially a married mother-father, suffer across every measurement. And this is a system that's literally built, sacrificing the well-being of children from the beginning. That leaves us with a lot <laughs> to think about. But thank you. I, I know I will be following this legislation, this attempt to redefine more terms, fertility, infertility. 
Um, but, you know, stay tuned <laughs> because <laughs> we have one more thing to do before we wrap the show, and that is to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now it is that time, once again, my favorite time of the week to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to the Vermont high school girls, Blake, Grace, and Kayla. So we went up to Vermont last week to tell the story of these high school girls who were so brave. They Vermont law says that anybody who identifies as, you know, as a female can go into a girl's locker room. And these high school girls just said, hey, we're uncomfortable. We, 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 don't, we don't like a man looking at our bodies. And this is a very intimate and private time for us. And the girls were called, you know, transphobes, bigots, all these things. And they actually got discrimination charges against them. And so we went and we interviewed them. And it was so powerful to hear their stories and really go up there. And, I mean, they're they're beautiful girls. They're so strong. You admire them for, for so many reasons. But they're kids. They're children. They were, you know, playing on a basketball court with a volleyball. And to think that they have to go through this and they have to take the stand it's it's really heartbreaking. So I I really we wanted to make them problematic woman of the week um, and make sure that you go and you watch the documentary because it really is Kelsey just like you you the videos that you produce for IWF personal to hear the stories from their own perspective but also know that big tech is up against us so we need you to go <laughs> watch them and and make sure that the other people see the, and hear the stories as well. Absolutely. I watched it myself. It is well worth your time. These girls need our support. Uh, we will leave you with a brief clip where you can um, hear from them. And again, head to the Daily Signal's YouTube channel to watch it in full. A male was in our locker room when volleyball girls were trying to get changed. After I asked him to leave, he didn't, and later looked over at girls with their shirts off, and it made many people uncomfortable and feel violated. I left as soon as I could in a panic. I was the first one inside the locker room at the time, and the trans student came in and walked into a separate part of the locker room and went and changed while the other girls were in the main part of the locker room changing as well. As soon as the trans identifying student was done changing, they came out and stood at the entrance of the locker room for a little bit. A lot of the girls were changing in their sports bras and stuff. A lot of us stated like, can you please get out? We're changing, we don't feel comfortable with you in here. After a little while, the student did leave, but it took a little bit for the student to leave and a lot of us were not comfortable with that situation. Thank you, Emma, for joining. It's always a pleasure to have you. And with that, that's gonna be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week.
Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.